Welcome back to The Melancholy Condition. I am your host, Darius Velasquez, and you're listening to Season 3. Enjoy. Here's an ad. Have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? When I was trying to get this podcast off the ground, I had a lot of questions. How do I record an episode? How do I get my show into all the apps that people like to listen? How do I make money from podcasts? The answer to every single one of these questions is pretty simple. Anchor. Anchor is a one-stop shop for recording, hosting, and distributing your podcast. And best of all, it's 100% free and ridiculously easy to use. And now, Anchor can match you with great sponsors who want to advertise on your podcast. And that means you can get paid to podcast right away. In fact, that's what I'm doing right now by reading this ad. The reason why I love Anchor is just because it's easy. It's simple. It's on my phone. I don't use any exterior hardware. I don't got to do anything really, but just pick up my phone, open the Anchor app, press record, invite my guests, and boom, you have the melancholy condition. So if you want to start your podcast, do so today. Go to anchor.fm. Three, two, one, and we are rolling. Welcome everybody back to another episode of the Melancholy Condition. I am here with Matthew Scarfo. Matthew, go ahead and introduce yourself. How you doing, guys? My name is Matt Scarfo. I am a fitness professional, business owner, married, father of three, and um, looking forward to having a great conversation with Darius and hoping to provide value for somebody, everybody out there. So, awesome, awesome. So uh, tell me a little bit, you know, we talked off air about the business. You didn't really go too in depth with the business that you've had. Um, what is what is this business that you have and how sure. long have you been into this profession and stuff? Because I myself, um, whenever I told you about, you know, when I was in Houston and, you know, the things that I was struggling with, that was during the time that I started one of my first businesses, which was a clothing line. And I noticed like after about a year of having a clothing line, I don't know anything about marketing. And so I went into <laughs> do marketing and I'd ran that business for about two years. And then um, Houston flooded about a year, like right when I signed my first client in Houston, that. it was like a really, really big client, dude. He, this lady had a franchise. She was doing it for, it was a nonprofit organization for single mothers. It was like a babysitting um, place where only single mothers could apply so that they could actually get jobs and also have a place to keep their kids where like if they had another job or something, That's awesome. this whole plan to do like a five location franchise. And like, right. Whenever we had signed everything, Houston had flooded and I left the city. So like I lost out at like, it was around $5,000 a month contract. Um, yeah. So that was, that put me in a slump. And then I tried taking my marketing business to the small hometown of Roswell, New Mexico. And it just didn't really take off too well because I was still trying to tackle like brick and mortar shops, but they just didn't have marketing budgets. And yeah, so that was like the third business after that. Um, you know, I had gotten into a real, real deep, like depression, like almost like self doubt because mm -hmm. I didn't feel like I was accomplishing anything, even though that was like, the one of the like third or second business that I had ran. No, no, it was the, the second. And then the third one, I did a little as science, a graphic shop um, that that one just didn't go too well either due to some creative differences with the investor that I had. Um, but they ended up shutting down a week after kicking me out of the business. So, but uh, let's go ahead and backtrack to your business and, you know, how long you've been in it and the things that you're doing. Yeah. So I am, um, I started in this career 20 years ago, I was 20 years old uh, as a personal trainer. And um, I was changing, it was really a transformation for me because 
up until that time, I, I dropped, I had a very terrible high school career. I was, I got left back in eighth grade. Um, I didn't have many social issues. My issues were more establishment issues and um, cut off my nose despite my face for much of my school career. Um, got kicked out of high school freshman year, had to go on homebound instruction. They let me back in conditionally into an out of district school um, where I finished most of my high school, but it, two weeks after they let me back into my original district, they kicked me out again. So I dropped out of high school. I was 17 years old. Uh, I didn't really do much with my time after that, except uh, get into trouble and, and make money in ways that I wouldn't necessarily encourage my kids to do. And uh, one day I was working out in my parents' basement and my mother came downstairs and said, I know what you do. You know that I know what you do and that's not okay. So you work out every day. Why don't you go get a job as a personal trainer or something? So mm -hmm. um, I, I gave it a little bit of thought and I, I, I got my GED after I dropped out of high school and uh, you needed at least that in order to get a training certification at the time. So I went and I got my personal training certification. I uh, found a job at a local mom and pop gym. Fortunately, it was a great environment. It's, it was a nurtured environment, and um, I, I excelled. I did very well. I was always a social person. I was very easy to make friends and create relationships. So within a few short years of working there as a personal trainer, I began to work my way up through that business. And eventually, six and a half years after I had started, I was fortunate enough to buy a minority share in the business, become managing partner, and uh, manage the business for three years. Oh, so wow. I left. Yeah, so I left that shop uh, back in 2010 and mm -hmm. um, was in a funny situation because my wife and I had just got married. And similar to how you had creative differences with your investor at the time, I, my partner and I began to have some rather intense disagreements. And one day on my way to work, I was on a phone call with him. And uh, at the end of the phone call, basically hung up, told him to shove it up his ass and turned around and drove back home. And my yeah. wife was still getting ready for work that day. And she's like, what are you doing home? I said, well, let's just say that I've got some time off. And she's like, what do you mean? Well, when are you going back? I said, I don't, I don't have to go back. She's like, well, wait, we just got married last month and you quit your fucking job. Uh. I said, yeah, as a matter of fact, I guess, <laughs> I guess um, yeah, you could put it that way. So I was, I was in, I was in a pinch. I had nothing to do. So uh, basically busted my ass was fortunate enough to leverage a couple of my relationships and um, capitalize on some good luck that I kind of stumbled into. And um, I opened up a personal training studio and 24 hour gym in Morristown, New Jersey, and uh, been there ever since. But, you know, first three, four years of that, I was there all by myself. I was working 104 and a half hours a week. We had had our first daughter at that time. So that was quite stressful and um, led to a pretty high level of anxiety. But you know, a lot of hard work and, and, and honest work. And I've been fortunate enough to build, you know, a pretty, pretty good business out of it. So the, the short answer to your question is I, I own a 24 hour, a premium 24 hour gym and a 24 a personal training studio in, uh, in Morristown, New Jersey. I do a lot of uh, local philanthropic work when I can as well. Nice. Nice. That's good. I'm going to have to get with you after this episode about the whole personal training stuff. Cause that's something that I've been wanting to do for a while. And like, as my anxiety and like depression peak, I tend to like lean off of my fitness. So like I was weighing before I moved down to where I'm at right now, mm -hmm. I was probably weighing at like 150 
Okay. Like a good lean 150. And now I'm like 138 and I hate to see myself like below 140. So know I'm mean. like, oh, I'm skinny. You know what I mean? So now I'm getting all mad about it. But right now uh, we're just, you know, like me and my girlfriend, we had moved um, to this city that's closer to the college. It has one of the universities that she's in so she could finish her bachelor's degree. So just trying to keep my head above water. Like, hey, you're doing this for her. You know what I mean? Just yeah. so it's less stressful there. Sure. But um so let's talk about some of the, you know, the journey that you've been on and the, the, the things that you've struggled with that kind of make you are who you are today. You know, it's, I, I think that's a great question. And it, it's interesting because I know that whatever I answer, whatever I see from the inside is probably not what people see from the outside. And I would, I'd love to know what somebody else's answer is to that question. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because everybody sees you through a different set of eyes. You don't look the same to everybody. Uh, you actually look quite different through mm-hmm. a different person's eyes. So for me, some of the things that had shaped me certainly was uh, my school career. I feel like it made me, uh, I was quite rebellious <laughs> growing up and got myself mm-hmm. into a lot of trouble simply because uh, I felt like the rules were made to be broken. And at such a young age, I felt like no matter what decision I made, as long as I didn't have to go to jail or die, that everything was rather inconsequential. Um, you know, being 13, 14, 15, getting into a lot of trouble, you know, you're probably not going to go to jail. And as long as you keep it under a certain threshold, you know, they're not going to take you away from your parents either. So I, I tended to push limits. I, I was not very risk averse. And uh, <laughs> I feel like from what I've heard, that's a pretty – common characteristic among entrepreneurs and, um, yeah. and, and, and big money makers and, and very successful people, though I'm yet to realize that aspect of it. Um, I certainly feel that I'm probably less risk averse now than I've ever been, but to a benefit in that I know that, and, and this might be a, a good little gem of information. I know that no matter what, everything always ends up okay. On a long enough timeline, you know, the passing of family and friends becomes buried under the sands of time. It becomes easier to manage mentally and, you know, and emotionally. Uh, the, the passing of other relationships or opportunities, everything always ends up okay. So I've always been, a, I've become better at, at taking risks because, you know, I don't know what 20 years is going to bring, but I know that I'm going to have a positive attitude. And as long as I have my health, it's going to be at least a hell of a journey. So I feel like that's shaped part of my decision-making process that, you know, my answer to a lot of challenging questions is why not? What have you got to lose? But like, really, what have you got to lose? And the answer is oftentimes not as much as you think, because I know some people that have been through some pretty traumatic experiences and had, um, you know, the, the twists of fate, really end up giving them the shaft and three, four, six years later, they're happy again. And I know that that always waits as long as you're receptive to it. So I I think that my school career has certainly helped shaped me in that regard. And, you know, I can, I've got my mother passing a couple of years ago was certainly um, an interesting experience and I mean, going into business for myself was certainly interesting, but I, I think it really all revolves around 
really risk management. I think that's what everybody tries to do in their daily life is manage their their level of risk and make it consistent or try to make it consistent with um, with with their what they've got as their threshold that they'd be willing to deal with. You know, should shit hit the fan, things get pretty bad. I think that like I think that speaks for a lot. It's it's a very there's a thin silver lining on that statement only reason being is because i think a vast majority of people are much rather take a traditional route towards things and be like well you know what like even if you say that that's still a gamble right even mm-hmm. if you say that you know going to college getting a whatever a regular degree in a field that there's an option for work and then getting a job in that field that with your degree, getting your, you know, compensation for your degree and just playing it the safe route, even then after college, there may not be that a high demand for those degrees. But I think more people are more acceptable or more acceptive, I guess you could say, of that route rather than saying, okay, well, I'm going to invest. I'm going to go work a shit job for now. And for the next five years, I'm going to put my head down, save my money, and then after five years, I'm going to start my business that I've always thought about starting and put in, you know, 24 seven into that and then just hope it works out in a decade or five, five to 10 years. You know what I mean? I yeah. think less people are at least this day and age are more risk takers. Like if you look at like the amount of risk people are, are willing to take, I don't think that there's a high amount of risk in people's lives. Like, you know what I mean? I think too many people let their um, factors of their life, such as kids, such as family, such as, you know, bills, whatever the case may be, you know, let that play into a factor of their life's decisions. So they're more susceptible to say, I'll rather have a decreased life value for stability. I think that you make an awesome point. And I wonder, because now, so you're, how old are you? You're 22? Yeah. All right. So you're, you're a millennial, right? I and think. I th- right. And I think so. I think so too. If you're not, you're, you're whatever's next, but. Gen um, Z or something like that. Right. So, but, but with all due respect. And my question is, do you think that it's, that it's people in general, or do you think that it is more of a generational thing? I don't know. And we certainly have two different perspectives on this. I'm interested to hear yours do you think that this is something that falls within the people in the age group of i don't know we'll say 18 to 30 or do you think that we can use a broader brush and paint more society with this more risk averse you know brush that we're using i think that there is we were raised by people that were put in a you know safety barrier built societal structure right so my mother and her mother were raised in a society where going to school, getting a job and buying a house by the time you were 25 is completely um, tangible, right? Normal, All yeah. of that is, it's a, because of where the economy was at that point, it is a hundred percent reasonable to set those goals and say, I'm going to graduate high school. And by the time I'm 22, I'm going to have my bachelor's degree. I'm going to be working in within my bachelor's degree and buy a house by the time I'm 25, be able to raise a family, have some kids, settle down and do what people do. Mm. Now we, over the past decade, things have changed. You know, the economy has 
skyrocketed whether it be in the housing you know what i mean um the housing market mm-hmm. it has definitely fluctuated uh what is it um inflammation inf- what is, i think it, I, inflation, inflation yeah inflation on the regular economy has gone up a lot you know people can't no longer there's nobody in the united states that can afford uh an apartment a studio one bedroom apartment off of a minimum wage job that's no longer a you know realistic standard so i think that because mm-hmm. we are raised by a generation that said hey do you do these things you follow that corporate ladder you're going to be just okay in life you know th- that's that's what you do in life you you know get your degree find something you like and then do those things now there's a couple factors that fall into there right so we have the generation that says you do follow a b c and d and you're going to be okay in life you raise your kids that way and they're going to raise their kids that way so we have these societal uh i guess you'd call them norms yeah societal norms and constructs that say this is how you're supposed to live your Mm -hmm. life because it was easy for the people 20 30 years ago to do these things and that's how they were raised so they raised their kids to do the same now we live in a uh, you know, generation or a society, so to speak, where I can pick up my phone, I can go to every restaurant here in the city that I live, take pictures of it, post them on Instagram, and get paid off of promotions, get paid from, you know, deals yep. online, say, hey, I need you to come and review our restaurant, we're going to give you a free meal and pay you um, X amount of money if your post reaches this amount of people and it gets our um traffic within our restaurant this much of a spike right because that's all marketing is all the marketing is after you know studying it for so long i understand a lot of the things and why these influencers are making so much money that they're making because like for instance with podcasts Mm -hmm. anybody that listens to this podcast will hear an ad for anchor and they pay me ten dollars per thousand uh listens that and all the the ad is is me saying hey my name is darius velasquez this is the melancholy condition i started using um, anchor.fm for my podcast is a free podcast hosting uh, platform. I don't have to pay anything. All I do is pick up my phone, invite my guests on here and I record my episode and it publishes it to 10 different platforms, including Spotify and Apple music. They pay me $10 per thousand views to do that. Right. So with any other company, say it was, I don't know, uh, what's a good one. That's big right now. Quip those toothbrushes you see at target. They have an ad too, and they pay you. I think like I don't. It's not through Anchor. They have a different thing. But basically, what they do is they give you a referral code, and they pay you for like I don't know, say ten percent commission for everybody that buys a Quip toothbrush online. That the way they measure everything is based off of how many people use your referral code. With most influencers, if they don't have a referral code, then they base it off of like this spike of a traffic that they get to their website right so since this person was given this ad or this group of people were given this ad we've had a million views on our youtube video or you know website blah 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 now that those things are in our society those are capable things we can do also i can go and buy shoes and flip them on instagram i can build an etsy page of handmade jewelry where i just go and buy a bunch of wires and you know, gems from Hobby Lobby and make necklaces and sell them to, you know, hipsters. Um, You know, there's a thousand things that I can do now that are 10 years ago or even five years ago weren't in the question of things that you could do to make a living. So now we live in this generation of you can do anything, but what's the right thing to do? You know what I mean? The same hustle applies. You know what I mean? Just like you did. You did what, 20 years in your fitness industry to build your empire of personal training and your own gym. That takes a while. 
that mm-hmm. takes because that's tangible and you know it's it's hands on people like to be shown value by giving um how do i say it's something that they can put their hands on right they can go in and talk to somebody you, they can see the progress within their body when their body fat starts dropping and their muscle their bmi starts going up or down a little bit you know what i mean they're able to see those results but someone that's doing like a freelance business whether it be like for me i do videography that's a business that's a little harder to start because it's hard for me to tell somebody hey i charge you know 500 to 1000 dollars per video but you know it's just like a 3 minute video that they're going to use for their promotions you know what i'm saying so but like i said i do bottom line is now that there is 10,000 to a million things that we can do online through my phone or through my laptop to make money opposed to how it was you know five to ten years ago where it was get a degree and make your money that way and it's it it tips the scales drastically because now you have the question of what do i do what do i like now that the you know the possibilities are endless it's not just an engineering and architect you know it's not no longer the 50 degrees that you can choose from now it's you can make up what you like you know what i'm saying you can make up what is going to become the next trend, right? So if before all these influencers that were videographers became around, nobody thought that they could also pick up a camera and do get a drone maybe and do like a video of Bali and make a dope video of like all the excursions you can take in Bali and do it for one advertisement for one hotel. Because I'm pretty sure that paycheck is hefty, right? Nobody, nobody probably thought so. that you could do that with the, that equipment. You know what I mean? Take a trip out to Bali for a week, make a crazy video, tell the hotels, hey, I made this video. Would you guys like to buy it, buy the rights for it, and you guys can do whatever you want with it. All I want is creative rights and a paycheck that says, you know, this is for your work. You know what I'm saying? So there's a vast, so I do. vast spectrum of things that could, you could do to make money. So I think my generation is in this weird especially my generation i'm i've been told at least i don't want to be toot my own horn but i've been told that i'm a little bit ahead of my generation and based on the conversations that i've had people that are that are my age it makes sense i typically have a very logistic and critical thinking whenever it comes to like mindset whenever it comes to things so i kind of dissect things as i think about how i could do them you know what i mean but i don't think a lot of people I, I do. my age tend to think like oh man i could just get a camera and make you know do photography for this clothing brick and mortar clothing shop you know what i mean find my friends and be they, they could be the models and then post it online and say hey here's your catalog I, for this week I, I i hear you and i and i agree i feel like um being so the, the gym that i own we're 21 and over facility so everybody that walks through that door is 21 or over and i know that many of the conversations that i've had with some of the members that have come in and other people that i've just met casually on the street i think that conversation the conversation i've had with you thus far is is quite different and quite refreshing and you know i think i find this interesting because i i i agree with what you said earlier about risk aversion and how your generation uh, summarily has been bubble wrapped and and made to feel safe and secure and and not to experience adversity. So you've been kept rather secure and 
almost conditioned to not seek risk as a way of reward. Yeah. Right. And, and I find it is so, so minimum wage was never intended to be a living wage. Minimum wage was supposed to be for minimum competency um, with all due respect to all of the hard workers out there, low skill jobs, you get paid less. And now I've got a business owner's perspective on this. So it's different than a, maybe a non-business owner's perspective where in New Jersey, they've raised the minimum wage from $10 to $15 an hour. And that takes money out of my pocket. It's not, doesn't put money into your pocket because I'm going to make you work twice as hard. So I don't have to hire yeah. somebody else. And that's one side of the argument, right? And, and there's an equally valid other side of that argument. Um, but with regard to, all of the opportunity that is that's available to everybody to your point you can go start a t-shirt business or a graphic design business or a videography business um which when we go off air i'm going to try to hook you up with uh, with a friend of mine who does videography out here started from scratch um, um can i yeah, give him a ahead. plug real quick because he's a cool dude his name is freddie martinez um I, I totally forget his Instagram page. It's something like FBMR Media or something like that. Uh, this kid a while ago would come out and said, listen, I'm starting my own videography business. Um, I'm giving away everything that I do for free. I just need a portfolio. So let me come into your gym and take pictures and produce a little content for you and video and you can keep it at yours. Just tag me in anything that you share that belong, you know, that I, that I produced. So he went around town. He did that for everybody for free. Really began to put together and, um, and and create something, you know, the, the foundation of something that's big for him. But I I wonder because I and I know that maybe is it that your generation sees risk in the simplicity of going and working at a place for forty years, retiring, getting a gold watch, having the family and the kids, and not not making a billion, but just making a living. Like, is there a risk in that? Or, because I look at it from also a parent standpoint, I got three kids. I'm looking at it like, I see, I feel like there's more risk potentially in going out and starting your own thing that might not work because nobody's really holding your feet to the fire other than yourself, mm -hmm. yourself being anybody's self. And you, it's easy to go from one thing to the next. It's nobody's saying, no, I said, sit down and do your job, finish this before you go. It's more like, well, this isn't really working. So I'm going to leave when my chips are low because they're not going to get any higher. I'm going to cut my losses. I'm going to go do something else. And then it happens again. And then it happens again. And it's almost like now the marketplace has become a social marketplace where you can go to Michael's and pick up some beads and some gems and make bracelets and sell them on Etsy. But like very, very few people make more money than somebody who's got a nine to five doing that. So like where is it that it's a different kind of risk? Is it a risk that you're going to miss out on something and being more of an experiential generation, you find value more in the experience than you do in the outcome? I mean, how I'm interested to know, mm -hmm. how, how would you reconcile that? Because I, I find that being... If, if you can answer that question and in, in, if anybody can answer that question in a good way, I think we can get over this whole millennial boomer bullshit that's going on right now, because I think in that gray area in the middle lies this reconciliation. So here's this is all going to be from personal experience. Um, I know mm -hmm. I tend to go on rants and I'll mix up a lot of things. So just correct me whenever I get out of the line. Go for but, it. Sure. So 
like I said, I went from a little bit further before the whole clothing line. I did modeling and acting, right? Mm -hmm. I went to Universal Studios. I did a showcase. And the people that were within my acting class, they got Nike deals. They got deals with print ads with Adidas. And one kid started his own Disney uh, show. He got signed for a one series, um, which I don't know, or one season of a Disney show. I don't know how far it went after that. Um, a buddy of mine that was also in that class, he got put onto, uh, he got at least an audition at Sony Studios for Neighbors 2 before it came out. Um, so I did acting. And then after acting, I, I didn't like it. I was young. I was, you know, going through a lot when I was in California. I was just finished being homeless. I had lived with some family. So I wasn't really making any money. Um, and I didn't see, of course, I got myself in the door, right, to be an actor, to be a model. And I got myself to where I needed to be. I got one commercial. I was on TV. I was at for a local car dealership. Um, and that was like the start of it, right? Afterwards, I did a clothing line. I did about... I think maybe a total of the, over the whole year, maybe a total of a thousand dollars in sales. Right. Mm -hmm. And then after that, I did the marketing company. Um, the marketing didn't go too well, uh, right at the downfall of everything. I signed that contract to do the, the graphic shop where we were doing signage, car wraps and everything. And, um, like I said, the, we had some creative differences. The guy didn't like me towards the end of it. The short, long story short, he wanted, he was the owner. He brought in most of the money. He wanted to do sales. He was there like 5% of the time because he was out chasing leads. Everybody correlated my face with the business because everybody thought it was my business. He got mad. He was about around 50 years old. So he kicked me out and they shut down afterwards because I was running everything and he didn't have a clue with what to do once I was gone. You know what I'm saying? So I do with though that all that being on my plate, every single time I started something new, I thought that it was going to take off. I thought that give it a couple of years and it's going to be okay. It's, I'm going to start seeing some traction. I'm going to start seeing some sales. I'm going to, you know what I mean? I'm going to start making money and then I'll be able to expand and do the next big thing that I wanted to do. None of that ever happened to me because I, ne I never could put my head down and eat shit for a while and let it grow. You know what I mean? I could never let those seeds sprout. I just wanted it to come up. And I think a large part of the generation just wants to have a quick come up. And that's something that I had to learn the hard way through multiple failures and through multiple times of telling myself I'm going to do something and having the harsh reality after having too much money invested of it not working out because I was a trying to spin too many plates and two b I had too many expectations, too high of expectations. You know what I'm saying? Now, so, you know that you are in a tremendous advantage being your age and having gone through that and having that perspective that that is something that some people don't learn until they're 45 or 50 and now they've got the clock running against them. So I think that, and I, and I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I feel like there's such an important point to make here that you have, and, and you've done it already. You've already eaten shit five or six different times. Mm -hmm. And it's important that you eat shit as much as, and as soon as you can, in any venture, whether it is the life that we're looking at or more specific, you know, micro periods of time, months, weeks, months, years, mm -hmm. because, you know, the, the photographers out there that, that finally sell a print for a million dollars, they took 10,000 pictures to get to that one. Yeah. You know how many songs somebody had to produce before they got noticed? And some of those songs were awesome. But the fact is that they had to eat shit. They had to stick with it. And I think that 
the advantage that you have isn't in any particular shit meal that you ate, but rather this whole seven course shit dinner that you've already had. Mm. Now you're at a point where you, you understand what it's like to fail. You don't like the taste that it leaves in your mouth and you're getting that, those initial preliminary test runs out of the way. The more times you fail, it's true. The more likely you are to succeed smokers, the more attempts they have at quitting, the more likely they are at actually quitting the next time. Yeah. So I, I feel like you, you've done yourself a great service by failing often and failing early. And, and I don't mean that in a negative oh, way. Oh no, hundred percent. See, I look at it. Um, when, whenever I was, like I said, I do graphic design, I do videography on the note of videography. I'll send you later on a, a couple of videos that I did for some of the, you know, local shops in town. Um, just so you can kind of cool. shoot it to your homie. But so sure. with that being said, is we live like i said the age of the internet where we see certain people we don't see the behind the scenes right there's not often did anybody see me staying up till 2 a.m maybe smoking a little bit of weed just to get creative to come out with about a hundred designs for my t-shirt company just to only put out two you know what i'm saying people don't see the behind the scenes of that so whenever you know you have millennials my age looking for direction looking for the next thing that they think that they might want to do they look to somebody else's social profile that says hey this person has an instagram account of two point million you know followers they're doing whatever they want by just doing makeup and they're getting all these partnerships with all these brands all these makeup companies telling them they can make their own makeup and they don't see the a trial and error of how many times they've had to make a makeup video and take it down because it didn't get enough views or how many times they got backlash from someone saying, Hey, you didn't do this right. We we don't, we're not going to sponsor you, whatever. All they see is the success, right? Whenever you're looking at social profiles, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you're seeing these people blow up doing the entrepreneurial thing that they want to do, but you don't see the failures. You don't see how long it took them to get there. So you get this almost um, expectation that you can start something as within a couple years, it can take off, which for some people, sure. Right. So some artists mm-hmm. like Lil Nas X, he got lucky. He made one song. It was a hit because it was off of something that was trending that old time roads, uh, rodeo song or whatever it was trending off of a game he made it into a song and now he's famous that was the first song he ever put out that can happen for some people but the odds of you rolling those dice is slim to none and i don't think people understand that especially in the millennial age i think a lot of people in my generation and the further generations are seeing these social influencers become successful over a small win and them just being luckily being the cream of the crop or maybe they had a connection somewhere that they don't that they don't put on social media you know what i'm saying that put them ahead of the game but people don't see that so you're building the expectation that you can have a small win off of something little so that's why i think all these you know people aren't too successful with you know the things that they start or they tap out early because they don't get the success like the person that they're look looking towards you know what i mean I do. I do. And I think that to, to further that point, you, there's certain things that I, I think help really that, that every success really needs to have. Luck is certainly part of it. All right. Nobody, <laughs> nobody got to where they are without a serendipitous chain of events or meeting or conversation or introduction that 
that really changed the course of their lives. And they may not have recognized it when it happened, but looking back, I think they can certainly tell that that's when the tide started to change. So whatever it is, luck is the multiplier, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that there are two, two primary ingredients to this whole thing. Everything else just adds a little bit of flavor. One is that you've got to love what you do and you've got to have a passion for it. And if you're walking around looking for the thing that's going to make you the most money, you're not going to find it outside. And it sounds so cheesy, but it's inside. Like, what do you love to do? It's about depth. It's not about width. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to have a successful gym if I offer everything to everybody. But if I become the one place that people can go to solve X and X is what I do, I have a far greater chance at succeeding because I am serving a particular market. I'm not serving everybody. You know, you can't, I'm not going to, you can't specialize in everything because then you don't specialize in anything. Yeah. So you've got to really do like, forget about where the money comes from. Think about where the happiness comes from. And I know a lot of guys talk about this and they're a hundred percent right, but that's really where that's, what's going to give you the fortitude to last through the tough times and, and you'll make it okay for you to eat shit. Mm-hmm. So I can tell you, and I don't know much about you that, you know what? T-shirts just wasn't your thing, man. And marketing just wasn't your thing. It doesn't mean that they're not going to be a piece of your success, but those are, those do not form the backbone of what you are going to make your fortune and your happiness on. Absolutely not. But I can also tell you that you can be the best at anything in the world. If nobody knows about it, you're only as good as the people in the room. So when relationships are everything, it, you are not going to succeed without somebody knowing somebody. So Nas, I know nothing about the guy. Matter of fact, I hate him. That's not <laughs> a strong word. I don't, I don't love the song, dude, but like, I'm, I'm from a time when Illmatic came out, when like Nas okay, came out yeah. and it, Illmatic and, you know, Juvenile Hell by Mob Deep. I used to listen to these guys. So when I hear Little Nas, I'm like, that's just too much. Yeah. It's just too much. He doesn't, he doesn't sound like Nas. Right. So, but he, he didn't get a break because he was an awesome rapper in a phone booth. He put it out there so somebody can feel it, experience it, hear it, and say, hey, listen to this. Yeah. Or lose somebody to get him in. There are rappers out there and artists out there that are better than every single one making trillions of dollars. The fact is, though, they just don't know anybody to get them in that seat. So... Sports is a little bit different. People go out looking for athletes, looking for a quarterback, looking for a point guard, looking for people to establish their team. When it comes to entertainment and and marketing or any kind of social service or product, you you have to get in there and you have to make noise. Otherwise, nobody is going to see you. Or you need to have somebody that says, I know a guy, let me hook him up. Yeah. So a huge lesson that I've learned is that you don't burn bridges and you also don't let bridges go unattended. And it, it might be a hard concept for, for many younger people. I, I feel like you, you've got a pretty good grasp on this is I put reminders in my calendar of every person's birthday that I've met that has done something for me, whether it is an emotion that they've elicited a, a, a conversation that I've had with them, something that they've done, or it's a relationship that I want to continue to nurture. I'll send out, an email on Rosh Hashanah because I know that you celebrate and I hope that you have a great day. I'm thinking of you. And even if it's just once or twice a year, I know that that person will always have a favorable, favorable opinion of me and the relationship that they have with me. I don't ask for anything. 
I just want to see if I can brighten their day, their life or their experience just a little bit. And they can rely on me for that because eventually you build up enough equity in that relationship where 10, 15 years after maybe not talking to this person, you reach out and say, Hey, I know that you own this company way back when I'm not sure if you still do, but wondering if you've got somebody you can introduce me to, I've got this great thing. Mm-hmm. Those are the people that are going to get you that next step. And that's where your luck comes in. You really do create your own luck, do good things for good people. That shit's going to come back to you someday. Do yeah. bad things for good people. That shit's going to come back to you someday too. So I want to touch back a little bit on something you said, and I'm glad that I didn't book anybody else at, uh, cause usually I'll, I book like an hour at a time, but I'm glad I didn't yeah. book anybody else for the day. Cause this podcast is going to go for a while, but, cool. <laughs> um, I, I wanted to touch on something that you had said that one of my mentors in Houston told me, um, this guy started a company recycling electricity and like a year mm-hmm. after they went public, this guy just banked, like emptied the bank, man. He'd pull up to the gym because this is where I was working at the time in a 2019 Wraith, G-Wagon and a Ferrari. <laughs> and every time that I would get a chance, because I'd only see him seldomly. I worked at this gym for about a year and a half and I'd see him like maybe every three weeks or so. And he'd come in at six in the morning, right whenever I'd open. And I'd always ask him business advice. I'd be like, hey man, look, I know you're here to work out and I know you're here to do this, but I just want to run this by you. Because like, he was a really cool dude. And right whenever I was at like the peak of my marketing thing, um, he told me, he was like, hold on, you know, you're offering Google marketing, you're offering website design, you're offering SEO, you're offering graphic design and social media management. And he said, it looks a lot like, you know, whenever you go to a doctor and he, you know, people tend to want a, what, a one fix all, right? Mm -hmm. One, one medication fixes Headaches, muscle cramps, dehydration, you know, all these things. And he said, you don't want to be that. He said, look at ibuprofen. If you go to the store and look at ibuprofen, they have ibuprofen for what? Ibuprofen for headaches and ibuprofen for muscle pain and ibuprofen for fevers. They said, he said, it's all the same fucking ibuprofen, but it's just different products for different things. He's like, because if you're a one pill, you know, that fixes all medications, then nobody's going to buy it. Nobody believes in one thing for everything. They want niche specific. And so, I don't know. Yep. I just I wanted to touch on that because I don't think a lot of people, especially, you know, in this whole entrepreneurial age where everybody's starting a business, I think everybody wants to be the jack of all trades in that niche, right? Everybody wants to be like, if you're, for instance, let's take it back to videography. If you're doing a videographer um, business, everybody wants to be, oh, I can, I can film anything. But who makes the most money? People that are niche specific, right? So wedding photographers, travel photographers, maternity photographers, you know, school photographers, they're all still photographers, but it's niche specific. And, you know, let me add to that, that when I I think that it goes back to the whole risk aversion fear thing, right? In that, you know, that you've got a passion for looking at a screen and capturing moments and capturing images, right? And that's why you get into videography or photography or graphic design for that matter. But people are afraid of limiting their options and choosing the wrong vein of their passion. So for example, marketing, you know, um, paraphrase what you said, Google marketing, uh, you know, Facebook marketing, this marketing, that marketing, you're a one-stop shop for everything. 
because you weren't sure which one was going to be your, your cash cow. Yeah. So you want to cover them all. And you know what, whichever one, whichever one I end up following is the one that ends up making me the most money and I'll run with that. But right now I can use 4% from this stream and 15% from that stream and 30% from this stream. And if I'm making a little bit of money from a couple of different places, it's a hard decision to make, which, which one's the bastard child, which one do you get rid of? to focus more of your attention here mm -hmm. because I, even though I'm making some money from these other places, your time would really be better invested doing what it is that your heart is telling you to do, not what your wallet is telling you to do. I want to go over some of the things that kept you motivated within the first couple of years of your business that kept you on the grindstone, right? Cause a lot of people tend to tap out early when they don't see something thriving. So what are some of the things like you told me you struggle a lot with some anxiety issues what are the things that you did to help you get through that to keep you up on your A game? You know, and, and things that I still do, because honestly, that feeling never goes away. Um, this, this is a good question, man. So ever since the very, I, I don't, I don't really know what drives me. Okay. Mm. But I, but I know what I'm, but I think I know, what I'm running from. And I guess it's, it's began to shift as I've gotten older. And I think everybody, every, every good person reaches this point at some point, and maybe they reach it many times during their life. But when I was younger, number one, I'm, I'm still trying to prove everybody wrong from when I was growing up. Um, you know, being a high school dropout, knowing the things that teachers and parents and things like that said about me, um, I'm still trying to prove them wrong. And, I was never a bad kid. I just got into a lot of trouble. I was never a thief. I was never a liar. I was never a cheat, but I made decisions, you know, that, that were a lot more fun than some of the decisions that my peers were making. Mm -hmm. So what, what kept me going when I opened the business was I had just gotten married and what meant the world to me was that my wife and my mother be proud of me and everything that I do. And I know my mom, you know, moms will always be proud of you no matter what, because they know, you know, this is an infinite timeline, but mm -hmm. I wanted my wife to feel like she made the right decision in marrying me. She chose me. You know, I, I, I picked her, but inevitably she chose me. So I knew that I had to get from zero to 60 rather quickly. And um, that kept me going. Plus I, I, I always felt like there was a light at the end of the tunnel and in my heart of hearts. And I still feel this way that I'm going to be tremendously successful in what I do. And that's going to allow me to give other people a leg up in what they do. You know, it, having all the gold is no fun if you're not doing anything with it. Um, I, I definitely know that there's people out there that need help that don't have some of the advantages that I have. And, and maybe my advantage is I've just got big balls. Um, it certainly, I wasn't born into money. I certainly didn't get lucky and win the lottery. Uh, it, it's all hard work and it's a lot of risk taking. So I, a shift happened about a year or so ago where now, and I guess I've kind of always wanted it this way, but now married for 10 years, three kids, I am right now trying to build, for my wife, the life that she dreamed of when she was a kid, that mm -hmm. princess, that princess life, the, it's no longer about me. It's about creating a legacy 
Um, and it doesn't have to be a grand legacy, but, but a comfortable legacy that should I be removed from this planet for any reason, a moment from now, I want to know that my wife isn't going to have to sell all of my belongings in order to pay the bills. And yeah. it's, it's that fear that, that drives me. I don't know. I think that I wouldn't have been able to do it if my heart weren't in it because a thousand times by now I would have quit and gone to do something else. And I think that that leads me to another point, which is if I had a plan B, I probably would have exercised that option long ago. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and I probably would exercise that option in the future. I mean, when it gets down, when it gets down to, you know, where the rubber meets the road and you've got, and you don't have any other option, you make wonderful things happen. So a philosophy that I live by is when you make a decision, you burn the boats. When you get there, you burn the boats. There's only one way home and that's the hard way over land over that mountain over the rivers you get there because if you can turn around and drive home there's really nothing that's you really won't stick through it through the hard parts and i think that every successful person has at least one story of a time that they had no choice but to do the hard thing and when they did the hard thing they performed better than they thought they would have and they've gotten to a place they never thought possible. I have a theory. Go ahead. Um, when I was in Houston, like I said, I talked to a lot of people. Uh, there was one guy. He it was a shaman from Africa. Awesome. And when he saw me, the first thing he said out of his out of his mouth was, "This man is gonna be rich. This man is gonna be wealthy and successful." And at first, I was like, you know, because I was around people, I just like shrugged it off. But I'm very into like spiritual connections. I don't believe that any person that speaks over you in that manner it's is a coincidence, right? So mm-hmm. because I'm you know very spiritually connected, and he told me that he's a shaman, he that made me think like, okay, there's a higher being yeah. speaking through this man here. And so I would always ask him. I'd always talk to him. And I mean, we'd always have these conversations. And I just remember one of the conversations that we had, um, I had asked him if he watched superhero movies. And he's like, yeah, I've seen a couple. And I asked him if he saw Batman. The recent one that had just came out was the one with Bane in it. And he was like, yeah. And uh, because we were talking similarly about, you know, life choices and plan A and B and C. And I was running him by everything that I, you know, had wanted to do. And he's kind of mentoring me, guiding me and stuff like that. And I was like, well, I feel like, you know, and this was before I came to the realization that I should just choose one thing. And if I want to do other things that I can do them as hobbies, but to just focus on that one thing. And I decided to make that one thing, this podcast, right? So this podcast has became my gem. It's became the thing that makes me happier. I don't, I don't dread, you know, the interviews that I have. I get excited because I get to talk to a new person and get a new perspective from them. And it's just become something that, slowly has become like a source one of my sources of happiness almost you know what i'm saying yeah but so anyways before i you know decided to stop doing 30 things at once um i had ran it by him i said okay so in the batman movie whenever bruce bruce wayne is trying to get out of that pit you know where bane grew up where he has to climb the wall and he has to he jumps that gap over and over and over again he has that rope tied to him 
And every single time that he had the rope tied to him, he'd jump the gap and try to catch himself on the other side because that was the only way that he'd be able to escape. He'd fall. And the rope would catch him and he'd smack the wall hard and he'd have to go through his therapy again with one of the other inmates. And I was like, but the only time he didn't ever, you know, he didn't fall, he didn't hurt himself is whenever he took the harness off. He took that rope that was fell away. And that was whenever he made it. And that's, of course, whenever the movie unfolds and he gets out of the cave and goes and defeats Bane or whatever. And um, I had asked him and he was like, well, you only fail whenever you feel like there's another option. Whenever you feel like there's something that, that can catch you. He said, he said that whenever you try to do something and you're not in it 100% to give your if there's no other option, as if your life depends on it, then you don't get any other outcome as if your life were to depend on it. You get the outcome as if something might catch you. Totally true. Totally true. And, and it's just one of those things that, you know, it sits with me. Uh, there's a lot that this shaman shared with me that he got over like the conversations that we had. He would, he would prophesize over me and tell me all these crazy things about like the spiritual realm and where I land in them. Not many things that, you know, I really share with other people unless I feel like that there's sure. that connection that they'd understand it. You know what I'm saying? But it's just, it's really interesting knowing that someone like that can get that kind of understanding you know what i mean and just hearing the type of retrospect i guess that that person kind of has over someone that they've never met but it's interesting that you said that just because like i said um the things that that man has shared with me for some reason always comes up in other conversations with that's awesome and i i subscribe to that completely probably in a in a to a wacky degree where most people would think that i'm crazy or perhaps that we're crazy. Um, but I, I just, I feel too strongly about it. And one thing that I know and, and that it has been obvious to me more times than any other lesson that I've learned is that no matter, no matter what we think is going to be the outcome of anything, whether it is a phone call, a conversation, a meeting, a negotiation, um, it doesn't matter. Whatever it is that we think is going to happen, nothing ever, ever, ever in my 40 years on this planet has ever turned out exactly the way that I thought it would be. Nothing. And I could dream up the worst circumstance. It doesn't happen. I could dream the best circumstance. It doesn't happen. And I feel as though that just by virtue of me putting that possibility out into the universe, whether it be through speech or through thought, it automatically eliminates it as a possibility is as, as I've thought it or as I've spoken it. And I don't know if maybe you've had the same experiences, but I know that I've worried about shit way too much. And this kind of helps me calm my anxiety down. So maybe this goes back and answers the other question you asked me a little bit better, but simply by virtue of, of worrying about something happening a certain way, it automatically eliminated a hundred percent of the time automatically eliminates it as a possibility. So I almost find solace in knowing that if I think that it's going to work out a certain way, fucking check that one off the list because that's not going to happen. It's almost like you've got to leave it out there in that quantum field as a possibility. So I, I guess it's kind of like Schrodinger's cat of, of, of possibilities <laughs> in that the second that you look at it, you identify it. And the waveform collapses... Yeah. And now it is no longer, but in reverse, it's no longer what the state of that cat could have been in the box. 
because you've looked at it and now that's no longer a possibility. So it's one of the other ones. So just by virtue of recognizing it or, or pretending it, I think makes it an impossibility. And, and I've yet to be proven right or wrong, both in a positive way, thinking something's going to turn out wonderfully. It still might turn out great, but it's not going to turn out the way that I thought, even in my best calculation. And exactly the same in a negative sense. It never turns out to be exactly what I thought. It might be just as bad, but it ain't happening that way. Yeah. I think um, something that I tend to do, just because I tend to gravitate more towards Eastern meditation, Buddhism, the Tao, um, I like to look at things through a, like I said, a, because of the spiritual side of things that I've always cling to, I tend to manifest things. I tend to, and this is, this ties all the way back to some of the things that the shaman spoke over me. Some of the things that, you know, I've had mentors tell me that things that I'm capable of that I still don't understand. I, no matter what, if I see it in my head and I want something to happen, you're right. It may not go along that way, that the pathway that I think that this, you know, these are the things that are going to come up on this path that I'm hiking. But the end result, I tend to manifest those things. My girlfriend actually sometimes gets mad at me because of the way that I do this. I, anything that I want to happen, I'll speak it out to like, as if it's already mm -hmm. mine. I speak it into the universe as if it's already mine. So whenever it comes to job interviews, whenever it comes to things like whether it be signing on with a new client or, you know, whatever it is, I put in my head, I engrave it into stone that it's already happened and it's mine. At the very same time, though, I also engrave the worst case scenario, right? I put both things out into the universe. I don't say what I'm hoping for. I never, I rarely, as I get older, especially nowadays, I don't predicate on any, you know, whether it be unrealistic or realistic, I don't predicate on anything that of are my hopes. I just say, okay, well, this is, if I'm going to get this job, then I'm going to get this job. Whatever comes along, you know, the baggage that comes along with having this job is what's going to happen. But at the very same time, I could also walk in that interview, the guy can decide he doesn't like me and not want to interview me. Those are the two things that are going to happen. But if I get this interview, then I'm going to get this job. If I talk to this person, I'm going to get this. You know what I mean? If I talk to this person, I'm going to have this connection and it's going to work like that. And my life so far, I don't know if this has anything to do with, you know, past lives or, you know, the type of person that I am. If I have the genetics of the gods that walked to this earth, like the shaman told me that I did, if I don't know if it has to do with the power that comes with that, but. There's something that happens within my life where if I put it out in the universe without a doubt, if I have doubts, then yes, no, you're right. It doesn't work. But within my head, if I put it in, on concrete and I'm confident with the answer that's in my head and I speak it out to the universe, nine times out of 10, these things come to me. And it's really weird how it works because it's it may not come right away, but eventually it works itself out. And then I'll get this little hint, something that will make me look back and be like hey remember the time that you said that this was going to happen here it is you know what i'm saying and so for me that's it's been that's where i find my peace is knowing like how you said before everything is going to be okay and that's something that my buddy frank took me a while to he would tell me this all the time and it took me a while to actually wrap my head around it his mantra is always regardless of what happens i'm going to be okay yeah. I'm going to be fine because I'm still here because I'm breathing. He went through, and I hope he doesn't mind me putting him on blast for a minute, but 
he went through this really weird relationship for two years, real toxic relationship. I'm not going to speak too much about the things that went on, but it was real toxic for his personality. And after he broke up with this girl and, you know, they split up, they moved out of the house. He, you know, had to resort back to some old living situations and something that he told me that got him through it was that he was going to be okay. Regardless of, you know, even though he wanted to marry this woman, he wanted to build a family and help her raise her kids. He wanted everything that you could imagine in a fairy tale, you know, story that happens in a relationship. He wanted all of that, regardless of how much, you know, bullshit that she put him through. He still wanted the best of everything. But, you know, at the breaking point of the relationship, he knew that he was going to be okay. Regardless, even if, you know, if they never speak again, if something happens and she puts a bad rep out for him, he knew he was going to be okay because that's how life is. He's going to be fine no matter what. And it took, like I said, it took me a while to wrap my head around that. But I always have the expectation, like, it's not with everything, right? I'm not walking around, you know, like a king saying, oh, everything's going to work out in my favor because I told the world it's going to work like that. But most things that are like within my life's path, for some reason, the things that I tend to do tend to be the things that are right for me. And I don't know if it's because, you know, I just have good karma or, you know, I'm just real good, well-versed in the things that I know I'm supposed to do. That way, I, that's why I gravitate towards them. I you do. know what I'm saying? So let me ask you a question because you, you had mentioned something really interesting. And I'm smiling while you, while you were talking about it before the story about your friend. Now, one thing, and I'm going to give an example of how it relates to me, and then I want to ask you a question. I weirdest thing for me is that, and we can we can call it praying, we can call it uh, asking the universe, whatever whatever fits with your theology or, or whatever. Whatever I've ever anything I've ever prayed for, I've gotten, but not like you know, I wish. When I was a kid, I wished for, you know, a billion dollars or something like that. But anything that I've really asked the universe for with my heart, I've always gotten. And it may not be for months, weeks, years, decades. But I know that when I ask God or the universe in a certain way, I'll know when it clicks and I'll, I'll feel it yeah. in a way. And then all I have to do is wait but it happens every single time. And there's times where I'll verbalize it inside of my head and I'll stop short of finishing the sentence because I'll stop and think about what it is that I'm really asking for. And I feel like you do certainly have to be careful about what you wish for because you very well might get it. And if you know, you can't ask for peace because that might very well mean that everybody around you just disappears. So you've got to be careful. You got to be careful in the way that you phrase it. Um, to add color to that contrast with, you know, putting it out there into the universe and eliminates it as an option. I think that the way that I qualify that is if you're asking from a place of excitement, whether positive excitement or negative excitement, whether it be enthusiasm or fear that that is, that eliminates it as being an option because it's coming from, it's not coming from a pure place, but, if you ask for it in your head, like you do as when you manifest or I do as apparently as I manifest and I ask for it in a pure way, not out of excitement, not out of fear, but just, I want this in my life. 
I feel like the universe conspires to make that happen. And some of the things that I've prayed for are big and takes the universe many folds on itself in order to bring that peace that may be billions of light years away to be right in front of me. But it does happen. And it won't happen right away, at least for me. And then you get into like the whole Christ consciousness thing, right? Where, you know, you reach a whole different level of consciousness and you can manifest things right here, right now. I can cure the sick. I can walk on water. I can do all that. You know, there's certainly a a group of people that believe that that is the highest level of of consciousness. Um, But I feel like down here among us, well, among me, that at my level, it does happen and it happens in its own time. But I certainly do get everything that I wish for, as long as what I wish for comes from a pure place. And I find it fascinating because you're telling me very much the same thing and and that it works for you. And I have found that it works for me every single time, at least so far. And and that also gives me some sort of faith, knowing that, you know, there's things that I've that I've wished for a long time ago that I know are good and benefit not just me, but the people around me and the people that I can affect. And those pieces, those wishes will come true right when I feel like I have nothing left or right when I feel like I don't have an opportunity. Boom, here it is. This is what you asked for. It might not be right when I've asked for it, but it's always on time. And it always comes right when I need it the most. And you might think that you need it the most, but, you know, the universe has a funny way of, of challenging your expectations and making, you know, making you a fool of yourself to yourself. So, you know, I, yeah. I think that you do have to manifest and however it works for you or however it works for anybody, you do have to put those things out there. But it, but it has to be pure of heart and it has to be without malice or really without expectation. You just have to put it out there and, and it will come back to you right when you need it. So I think to kind of level in on that if you want to relate it to faith and you want to relate it to religion in the bible it says that man was made in the image of god right and god's capable of everything good anything if you want to be if you want to be technical it says that god created man in our image capital o plural man was created in our image which adds a, a, a pretty cool spin to it but i didn't mean to interrupt you but but go ahead no, for sure. I'm, gl- I'm glad you, you know, added that. So with bef- prior to that information, um, things, you know, now I have a train of thought to change that perspective. But in my personal um, perception, mm-hmm. I believe that if in the Bible it says we're made in, you know, God's image, because that's, you know, that's prior true. to what yeah. you had just said, I, I believe, I believe that we are able to perform miracles i believe we are able to do everything that in a fraction of what god is capable of right so if we're all one consciousness and we're all one stream of recycled beings then if we are made in god's image then we should be able to speak things into existence as god did in the creation of everything so i don't you know what i mean so in the essence of manifestation or you know meditation through prayer um that we should be capable of doing these things within our lives and over other people that you know may have less circumstance less fortunate circumstances we should be able to speak 
my friend that has battling cancer will be well. I, you know, I pray that this, this person will be well bro, I, and well, that their health should improve. You know what I'm saying? I, if there, I just, I think that what you just said was probably the reason why we're having this conversation right now for me. I feel like that mm-hmm. is the single greatest walk away that I'm walking away from this conversation with. Um, and, and personally, I don't think whether it's singular or plural has any difference whatsoever. I think that you were a thousand percent right, whether there was one or many. And I think, I, I don't know, dude, that was worth a million bucks. That was. Uh, <laughs> well, I'm glad that I could, you know, hold that much value for you. It's just, it's what I believe, you know what I mean? Because if you think about everybody in your life, right? Look at their circumstances and look at the things that they speak over themselves, whether it be like, man, I'm always sad or man, I'm always broke, man. I'm, you know, I'm always this. They're speaking that over themselves. Or if you look at other people like, man, I'm just always in a good mood. And I don't know why. Like, yes, you're going to continue being in a good mood because you told the world that you're always in a good mood, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of the things that you're going through, you're always in a good mood. And so I think there's a, a level of understanding that we're missing in the simplicity of speaking things into life that like I said, there's, it's just a level of understanding that we're missing. People are trying, I think people overcomplicate everything. I tend to, you know, ever since I was young, like I said, I studied psychology from the age of 14 because I dropped out of school and I wanted to do schooling online so I could work. And since then, I had just picked up books and books and books because I had so much free time. I'd get ahead in my schoolwork, and I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to work anymore. I'd spend a couple nights. um, I'd stay up real, real late and get like weeks ahead of homework just so I could work, pick up as many shifts as I wanted, and also do whatever I wanted in my free time. And I've read a lot of books. That's why I've always, you know, gone into uh, Eastern medicine because I believe that like the Buddhist religion is the most peaceful of people regardless of you know everybody you know christians i was raised in a christian church but there's too many times where i've watched those christian people that were you know taught to be all loving and all accepting be spiteful because of something that they read on facebook or something that's going on in the news and the politics the people are too cling to these things and i just think that if we look back and trace it back to the simplest the simplest form of, you know, living on this earth. I believe the Buddhists have it down under lock and key. They don't attach themselves to anything. They're, they're peaceful beings. They don't hold grudges. They're, you know, they're nice. They're peaceful people. They're all accepting of everybody. And one of the things, like I said, within Eastern meditation, that's what they preach is to speak what you want over your life to speak health and prosperity over your body, to even speak health and prosperity over the plants that they put into the earth. You know what I mean? So it's like, there's just too much, too many things that I think that we overcomplicate within the trials of life that we forget to go back to the building blocks, you know, talk to your plants whenever you plant them and they'll be, they'll be fruitful. The same thing that I bring this up all the time, but one of the Chinese, um, he's a doctor. He was a, I think he was an instructor at a college. He did a test over water where he got a bunch of students to take, they had one giant, giant source of water in like a gallon tank or whatever. And they all took little squirt bottles out of a Petri dish. And they, what they did is they did two things. They would plant, they had two plants and they would have half the students 
go to the plant, one plant, and say nice things over the plant while they watered it. Be like, oh, you're beautiful. You're going to grow strong. You're going to grow healthy. You're going to grow tall. You're going to bear prosperous fruits. And they had another plant that they told mean things to. You're like, oh, you're ugly. You're weak. Your your leaves are going to shrivel. And over the course of, I think, like six months, the plant that was spoken positively to, you know, that plant grew stronger than it taller and thicker roots than it was supposed to based off of like the the ecology of the seed mm -hmm. and the other plant it shriveled mm -hmm. up it the the leaves withered the branches got all thin and brittle and it died as if you were to leave it outside in the winter and then the other test that they did is they did water um they put water in a petri dish and they had thoughts they just thought a certain thought or they did five petri dishes where they did happy thoughts five petri dishes where they did sad thoughts five petri dishes when they did um angry thoughts and they froze these Petri dishes to see what the molecular structure of the water was. And the positive, happy, um, thoughted, like Petri dishes of the, wa the water, those ones came out with perfectly symmetrical uh, water crystallizations. And the other ones were like all jagged, like broken glass. So like these studies, there's something, like I said, this is why I go towards Eastern medicine, because there's something within the power of language, within, you know, the mental and spiritual uh, message that we're missing, that I think is a heavy blockchain of life, but nobody wants to look towards because they think Eastern medicine is like taboo and, you know, oh, well, that's just what monks do. You that's know what I mean? But anyways, I like I said, we seem to keep going off on these tangents, and I love it. This podcast has been amazing. Some of the things that I want to talk about um, with these last couple minutes are the um, some of the practices or maybe even advice. Because you said that you tend to think of your family and your loved ones as the forefront of your motivation that gets you through life. So whether it be that fear of leaving them with nothing behind or, you know, having the motivation of being able to say, hey, you know, I built this legacy and now my you know children can live in it. They can do whatever they want with it. If somebody out there that, you know, they they feel those fears, they have that anxiety, but they don't necessarily have the family or they don't necessarily have the support of loved ones that are able to say, hey, you know, I'm doing this for them. Um, what would be some of like some good advice that you could give them to keep them on top of the things that they want to do to push them to motivate them to do the things that are meant for them. I think that if you think long, you think wrong. If you put too much thought into it, you end up convoluting the original question so much that your answer is appropriate, but not for that question anymore. Just, you know, boil it down to its simplest thing. And there are going to be times that, it's just you. There are going to be times that you feel like you've been abandoned by, by people. It might be just a, an incidental string of emails that aren't getting returned and you've got, you know, you're waiting on five people and nobody's emailing you back. You've got to remember there, there are certain realities to things. Number one is that really nobody owes you anything. Everything that you have, every Every debt that you think that somebody has to you is cleared, is cleaned blank at the end of every interaction with them. And that count starts over. It, uh, things don't accumulate. You don't, you aren't, you don't deserve anything more than what you're willing to do at that particular moment. So nobody owes you anything. You are going to feel alone. You are going to feel like 
you've just been left out to dry and you very well may have been. And the second that you feel that way, you need to act that way and figure out worst case scenario, what do I need to do to ensure that I get through this? And I think it's also important to see what works for you in terms of like stress and anxiety management. I mean, I jump from thing to thing, just like everybody else. You know, I've been doing these crazy breathing techniques and, you know, I meditate and that works for me because for me, I need to clear my head. I've got too much noise in there at any given time. Um, I work out and I work out in ways that make me extremely uncomfortable um, I try to, I just pick dumb shit and I do it, you know? Uh, so I've been working out for 20 years. The last 10 years, I've really turned it up. And the last five years of that, um, I'm, I'm really just trying to see what my potential is. And I've reached a point where I can, I can talk myself out of physical pain and just let the machine break down underneath me. It's a hard place to get to. And it's a hard place to get to for a lot of people because it's uncomfortable. But for me, that's euphoria for me, for example, Two weeks ago, I, you know, I run obstacle course races. Um, you know, I do Spartan races and Tough Mudders. Uh, every year, I try to do more. Every year, I try to take it farther. And my workouts, for example, I do a lot of running. Last week was the farthest I ever ran uh, outside 12 and, 12 and a quarter miles or so. Out here in rural New Jersey, it's all hills and mountains and stuff. So it's pretty intense. What was your average? My split, um, I've been actually, I, I don't know per mile because – as a silly experiment, I just started switching everything to metric system because the whole rest of the world uses okay. it. So I know that my, my split pace per K was about 530, 535. Um, I, it's not bad. No, it, it's not. I don't think it is. I mean, I'm not fast, but I'm, but you know, I'm certainly not slow. But I mean, for an, a total of, you know, 12 miles. Yeah. Um, that's a very yeah. good. It, well, yeah, I think it's a pretty, it's a pretty respectable time. I think among, you know, amateur runners. So that was last Friday. Then this past Sunday, I looked, I was like, you know, I need to go for a run. Um, I don't really have a lot of time. What can I do? And uh, I decided I was going to run from, I live in a town called Blairstown. There's a town called Newton, about 20 miles away. And um, I, you know what? I needed the silence. I kind of needed the punishment in a way. And for me, it was an opportunity for me to just beat the demons out of my head. And um, I ran just it was 19.8 miles in the snow <laughs> in the rain in the snow 30 degrees outside and uh, it took me just about three hours to do it but damn it I ran from here to there and most of the way was uphill pretty intense but but you know what after an experience like that forget the run just think you know strenuous and, and physically demanding and stressful to everything i mean you've got to talk your, yourself out of stopping oh and i did 30 push-ups every mile for a total of 570 oh my yeah. goodness and the, the, the gopro <laughs> that i was wearing i've been wearing a gopro lately the thing only goes for about an hour and 20 an hour and 30 minutes before it shuts off so i i, I managed to clock most of it but you can't really see all of the push-ups, but you, you see them every mile. Uh, but for me, it was just, you know, I don't know, what are your limits? If you don't know what your limits are, then you don't know what you're capable of. And if you're going to play it safe in this yeah. average zone and, you know, play it safer than others and play it on the low end, man, I, I really think that everybody out there has something that they can be extremely famous for, extremely comfortable with, and feel like their life is fulfilled because they're living out their life's work. Except now we're, you know, we're, we're so distracted with all the other noise and the get rich quick. You know, it used to be get rich quick. Now it's, I'm an influencer. Everybody's a fucking influencer. Nobody's an influencer. So 
I think that yeah. you really do have to find what, what drives you. And for me, I know what I'm capable of, or at least most of what I think I'm capable of and running 20 miles and doing that dumb shit. I did um quarter mile of walking lunges on a 15% incline at the gym. Uh, that's 800 <laughs> in case you're wondering, um, you know, yeah. and I'm not like these crazy, like Goggins out there doing some crazy shit. But for me, it's, it's, it's at the upper limit of my potential right now, but you wouldn't, I wouldn't know that in, unless I kept trying to push it. So I, I guess another walk away lesson is, you know, make yourself uncomfortable. If you, if you agree that everything always works out, fuck it, try your best. What's the worst that's going to happen? It's going to work out, you yeah. know? So I, I think that you've got to have a high threshold for pain, realizing that nobody owes you anything. Be willing to follow your passion so much that you follow it to your grave, whether it you're, whether you make a million dollars at it or not, you did what you feel like you needed to do. You helped people along the way. You inspired some, you helped others and, you know, just go for it. Be happy. So I would say that's my short list. Well, that's awesome, man. Um, have you read Goggins? Book? Uh, I haven't read his book, but I've been following him a lot on social media and um, I love hearing him talk. So, you know, I hear him in my head, that's for sure. But no, I haven't read the book. Have you read it? Yeah, I'm about halfway through it. Uh, it's an amazing book. It has a lot of insight on his childhood um, that kind of shows you where he got that mental gotcha. toughness from. Um, I would definitely, definitely read it if you're into reading. It's a, it's a, it's a long read, though. That's all right. I mean, I, I'm, right now I'm reading some crazy-ass 600-page book. It's called The Gulag. I don't know. I don't read fiction. I like either biographical stuff or, uh, or nonfiction. So, Hey, when am I going to see you on impact theory? Oh Where's God, that? come on, man. You got to go on YouTube and check out impact. Theory. Uh, Tom, okay. Tom Bailu is uh, his name. I don't know him. Um, I wish I did. He seems like a really cool dude, but he's got some people on He's, he's interviewed Goggins. He's interviewed, um, just about everybody. You got to check him out. Heck yeah, I'll definitely check that out, man. Well, hey, let's go ahead and wrap this up. We're looking at an hour and 40 <laughs> minutes, which I'm super excited about. Um, sorry for the technical issues we had earlier. They'll definitely get cut out. But go ahead and uh, plug any social media or you know things that you do, whether it be your personal training website um, out there, any social media, anything that you're working on that you want to go ahead and plug and any last messages for anybody. I appreciate that. Um, so I'm not famous yet. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Look up Matt Scarfo. I'm, I'm, there's a picture of me doing some race as my profile picture. Um, Instagram, Matt Scarfo. And uh, that's it. I don't know. Just Google me. Look me up. I'm, I'm out there. And hopefully you'll see me in more places as time goes on. Um, there you so, go. Yeah, that's it. Famous last words is, yeah, nobody owes you anything. Awesome. Well, hey, Matt, it's been a pleasure talking to you, man. I'm glad we finally got this interview scheduled. Uh, you had a lot of insightful words. Um, hopefully somebody out here will definitely get some value out of our conversation. And maybe uh, coming the next few seasons, we'll have you back on again because I'm excited to see where life I'm takes you. I'm excited to man. see where life takes you too, man. So good luck with everything. I'd love to talk to you again. All right. All right I'll bye. talk to you later. Thanks, everybody. Put your head on my
Joe.